0: chapter two of for fifteen years by louis albach translated by elizabeth warmly latimer this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two emilienne continuation of the Live de Accru. same date evening i do not want her to be called in our household by any name but that of madame emilienne no one shall give her her married name under our roof the name of mortier would jar upon my ear somebody might feel astonished at seeing in our house the widow of a man found guilty of murder and really guilty of suicide some friend of my husband visiting us and hearing the name of mortier might remember the part Gaston played as witness in the trial were anyone to suspect our secret it would not take long for the whole truth to be brought to light i am always haunted by a sense of how slight have been the chances by which we have till now escaped suspicion what might not happen if monsieur henri d'arbois came back from india and dropped in upon us i dreaded the first interview between emilienne and my husband i am still more alarmed by the perfect smoothness and success with which the meeting was gone through did i not know gaston or is it that, having committed a crime, he has instinctively adopted the dissimulation of criminals? When he killed that man, did he kill his own conscience by the same blow? He was calm, he was dignified. He had even a dash of gallantry in his manner to Madame Emilienne. He, who had almost lost his good manners and the speech of good society from want of use, and whose conversation for some time past has become mere rattle, by which i mean that he has permitted himself to say anything that came into his head now in order to seem natural was exactly what he should have been in receiving and speaking to madame emilienne i stood by with my heart beating and my hands like ice when i had introduced emilienne he said at once we are very grateful to you madame for being so well assured of the sincerity of our sympathy we cannot make you forget your sorrows but we hope to assist you to soften their effect on your little daughter and yourself she drew together her dark eyebrows and in that deep voice which in spite of its habitual sweetness has such terrible tones in it when anything displeases her she said nothing monsieur can alleviate my sorrow if i am ever able to prove the innocence of him for whom i mourn i shall have done my duty but my own grief will remain always inconsolable gaston bent his head i trembled lest he might look dangerously pale but he seemed only to have bowed low out of respect and recovering himself and partly closing his eyes he had the temerity to add we will assist you madame to fulfil your duty as well as aid you to bear your heavy sorrow there seemed to me a slight break in his voice but perhaps it was a mere trick intended to prove to me that his self-command was assumed, and that he wanted me to pity him. I felt for a moment as if I hated him. Oh, my God, keep me from hating him. I want to love him, though he is a criminal. I want not utterly to despise him. If I hated him, I might be the cause of his losing his soul, which now I hope to save. I should suffer from my contempt for him, but I know it would also make me fierce and cruel instead of which now, in spite of the deep shame in my heart, I feel for him a secret hope inspired by deep pity. Emilienne, who has the instincts of good society, which proves to me how little education does for those who are under the influence of deep feeling, put an end to this conversation which was embarrassing to us all. Was she unwilling to us? Was she pained by allusions to her grief? Or did she want to observe us without exciting our emotions? her dark eyes have depths in them which perpetually disquiet me i am practising dissimulation and doing it well why may she not dissimulate as well as myself she expressed her fears of being in our way should we set out again upon a journey for she had heard roger tell florence that his papa and mamma were fond of travelling and that his papa had not at all liked coming back from geneva if we go away again i said you must come too or else said gaston quickly with the air of wishing to give me a lesson in propriety if you do not like travelling madame we can leave you here in our absence mistress of the establishment our liberty ought not to involve the loss of yours she thanked him he pretended that he had a letter to write and left the room another extract a few days later evening I AM CONSTANTLY AFRAID THAT SOME SIGN OF MY ANGUISH MAY FILTER THROUGH MY CONVERSATION OR BEHAVIOR, AND THAT SOME OF OUR DEPENDENTS MAY NOTICE IT. THE LEAST SUSPICION WOULD TURN THEM ALL in despise. THEY SUSPECT NOTHING NOW, BUT THE SMALLEST THING MAY AWAKEN THE KEEN-WITTEDNESS OF Emilienne. HER SUSPICIONS NEVER SLEEP. SHE MAKES BELIEVE NOT TO BE WATCHING US, BUT SHE BIDES HER TIME. OUR NEW SERVANTS WILL BE ABLE TO TELL HER NOTHING OF THE PAST i am the jailer of emilienne i hold my secret too in custody i must take care it does not escape me Gaston is away nearly all the time he has fallen into the habit of dining at his club he comes back late at night in the morning he breakfasts with us but he is always in haste to get away sometimes i dread lest this desire to avoid us should seem rude to emilienne and yet i should have more dread if she seemed to want to retain him i am letting him slip back into his old habits of vice does he gamble i don't know but i do know that he drinks heavily at late suppers monsieur henrion is absent is travelling he might have hindered me when i was bringing emilienne into our household or perhaps he might have helped me if he were here i should know if gaston is gambling again or getting into debt ah my god why must i let him do these dreadful things which deaden his conscience i suffer i knew i should suffer but i hope that the deep mourning that i carry about in my sad heart my shame and my remorse might be the heaviest crosses that i had to bear they are not my only ones a heavier cross is laid upon me it seems more than i can endure it slowly sticks hot pins deep down into my flesh it is this incessant, ever-increasing necessity of using all my powers of dissimulation. I ought to treat Gaston with gentleness, but at the same time keep him in fear of me. He ought to be made aware of the cup of bitterness I have to drink. He ought to see something of the anguish that consumes me. He ought not to forget that I watch, I pray, I weep because of him. But I must be careful how I make him too miserable." how i drive him to despair if i wish to save him above all i must not aggravate him or i may harden his heart when i take my son into my arms i go through another kind of suffering i have another mask to put on my boy has a spirit of investigation which frightens me he never has been known to tell the smallest falsehood but he does not talk of all he notices or understands he has mute questions in his eyes if i forget myself and involuntarily give way to melancholy he comes gently creeping up to me to kiss me to offer me his consolation and timidly hesitatingly he seems to draw away from his father a distinction which makes me shudder he guesses that i am unhappy he feels that his father is the cause of my grief he seems waiting for a time when he shall be old enough to judge between us Meantime, he looks at us with saddened eyes. What judges we have in these dear young creatures. Some day I shall be willing to submit our case to Roger as our judge. But if his precocious intelligence had to pronounce sentence now, his innocence would suffer a shock that he would never get over. For he loves his father as well as me. I wear all masks to Emilienne. I try all kinds of devices. She accepts the situation she has taken up the routine of her daily tasks without any further scruples her deference to me might make me feel myself safe but that her mixed gentleness and arrogance are so unfathomable if i meet her with a smile i say to myself a moment after she will think me too gay she will guess that i am shamming she will see that i am making an effort if I am as sad as she is herself, or sadder, for she sometimes tries to hide her sorrows, I am afraid she may think me guilty of hypocrisy, or that she may fancy some ulterior object in my sadness, or imagine some remorse, because I have not that open motive for bitter grief which is patent with her. Am I condemned for life to all this suffering? Can I not look forward to some end to it, foresee it, hope for it? Is there any harm, O God, in asking thee, that thy care being extended over the future of this family, my son's life, may not be made to pass under the cloud? Perhaps I might be able to bring Gaston to repentance, to save him, if I were free to do nothing but to watch over him, and had not to keep so strict a watch over myself. And this is what I have come to in eight days, to find my cup too bitter, my expiation too difficult. WHAT A COWARD I AM! I HAVE CHOSEN THE LEAST POSSIBLE PORTION OF SHAME AND PUNISHMENT. NO, I WILL GO FORWARD TO THE END, NOT KNOWING, ALAS, WHETHER THERE EVER WILL COME AN END. I MEAN ANY EARTHLY TERMINUS TO MY PAINFUL ROAD. Emilienne DOES NOT LIKE ME. SHE NEVER WILL GROW FOND OF ME. SHE MAY REMAIN IN IGNORANCE OF MY SECRET, BUT SHE WILL NEVER FEEL FOR ME ANYTHING WARMER THAN GRATITUDE mixed with a mistrust stronger even than her native kindliness of heart or power of reasoning in our very first interview when i thought her husband guilty and wanted to believe mine innocent we clashed against each other she still feels in spite of everything a grudge against me for this first encounter all my caresses will never remove this feeling the doubt thrown on my generosity that day makes her suspicious now she probably thinks that in the idleness of a wealthy life I have grown weary of having no interests and that I am amusing myself by toying with beneficence that she was at hand for me to try my skill upon that i sought her out to gain the outward credit of a virtuous deed while she agreed to come to me for her child's sake and for her husband's that she might not miss a chance of re-establishing his good name or put aside any means of arriving at the truth that providence might offer her she feels that she owes me consideration but that friendship can never exist between us though she would be glad if it were possible and she will be quite ready to leave us the moment i grow tired of my work of charity or should our hospitality threaten her were it ever so little with any loss of dignity or independence ah if she only knew that gaston is ruined that there is nothing left but my money in the partnership of marriage perhaps that knowledge might awaken her suspicions. She is very considerate, but rather unbending toward Gaston. During the few moments that he spends in his own house at breakfast, I can generally see a sort of gleam about her, a slight desire to attract my husband. She listens to all he says and smiles to encourage him, as if she never thought he said enough she knows very well it would be easier to fathom him than me and yet were it possible she could suspect him of the murder surely horror would reveal itself in her dark eyes or in the corners of her mouth which looks perfectly natural when in repose this morning i was comparing her with myself i was looking in my mirror i only consult it now when i want to rehearse my various deceptions i notice some white hairs which have come during the last few days her shining black braids which form a frame that sets off her fine face are not likely to grow gray tears have worn fewer furrows in her face than in mine her very deep mourning is worn outwardly and visibly in token of her great grief she makes no parade of it but it becomes her exceedingly she has the hope ever bright in her life of a wrong to be set right of a vengeance to be accomplished when the day comes that she tramples us under her feet she will be radiantly beautiful she attracts roger when that day of discovery shall arrive perhaps she may take pity on my child and though she treads us underfoot, may she not hold out her hand to save him would she spare him would she listen to the pleadings of her little girl for whose love and pity i pray daily as i load her with caresses kissing her and petting her would she i wonder sacrifice our child with the same pitiless delight with which she would rend in pieces his father and mother a fortnight later monsieur henrion has come back and his visit good man has broken to pieces all my carefully laid plans i saw him alone as usual when he came he began by cross-questioning me being as he is the physician of my material interests on the state of my affairs did i want any money no i said smiling there are then no more old debts to be paid not one and no new ones no my good sir his conversion continues yes and yet i know through private sources that your husband goes more than ever to his club possibly but he is not gambling monsieur herion made a gesture of surprise my confidence must have appeared strange to him he may not gamble but he frequents suppers he insisted what would you have me do my dear old friend i replied bravely i do not think that the attractions of bare virtue would have much influence over gaston i am resigned to seeing one vice cast out another vice gaston has given up gambling of his own accord I hope to help him to cure himself of this other error. You began well by taking him away from Paris. Why did you come back from Geneva? Geneva is a very dull place, with its air of Calvinist prudery. Then, had you not better have pushed on to Italy? Yes, probably, but we were obliged to come back to Paris. Yet you knew you would not find me here. Monsieur Henriot is so simple-hearted, so paternally devoted to me that he does not seem to imagine i could consult anybody but himself in any difficulty moral or monetary i did not need your help for a little deed of charity that i have done to please myself i answered feigning a playful gaiety after this i had to tell him what i had been doing and to explain to him how after the great interest gaston and i had taken in jean mortier's trial we felt ourselves compelled to come to the assistance of the wife the widow of the condemned man i did not dare to say that i believed him innocent that would have been reckless temerity monsieur Henriot made me shiver when he said with a serious air which i thought meant something but which was only simple and natural was it your husband who first took up the idea of this good action why should my old friend have asked me such a question no i replied deliberately it was my own notion altogether but Gaston approves it you have taken on yourself a heavy burden no indeed the poor woman has been here two weeks already and we have grown so accustomed to her presence that it seems to us as if she had been here fifteen years how long do you expect to keep her i have made no calculations as long as she likes to stay if she is not discreet she may be on your hands a long time i assure you she has a great deal of proper feeling and yet she accepts this excessive charity i interrupted monsieur henriand eagerly don't say what you are going to say it is an insult to her and to us to you i don't understand what claim has she upon you i felt that monsieur Henrion could only be persuaded to see things in their right light by a subterfuge so i told him i had made a vow to god that this good deed was my thank-offering to him for gaston's reformation this was not wholly untrue but still i was deceiving my too prudent friend monsieur henriand would not give up his point he had some powerful arguments still in reserve he talked of economy he insisted that the charge I had undertaken was too heavy a burden on the resources of the family. "'Well, then, you must find me some investments that will pay me more interest,' I said laughingly. "'Are you going to gamble in your turn? Yes, I want to win Providence over to my side.' In spite of myself, there was a gleam in my eyes as I said this, which touched the heart of Monsieur Henriant, though I had not convinced him he insisted that he would like to take a hand in the good work and would become my partner he told me how well off he was how little he spent of his income of the promise he once made my guardian never to let me take any risk in any speculation where he could not go shares with me he claimed that to assist me was his right he said that in case of need he must insist upon it was my speculation not a material one well he too wanted to put some of his money out on mortgage in paradise all this was said with artful good humor with the simple affection and the half scolding interest of an old family friend he is not the kind of soul which takes high flights but his kindness spreads itself abroad and enlarges its borders upon earthly soil i should horrify him if i told him the truth he probably would have nothing whatever to do with my work of expiation. He would find out my secret, so easy a last to arrive at, if he suspected that I was trying to keep anything from him. It seemed to me most prudent to let him approach very near the truth, as near as he could do without discovery. I made believe to be convinced that I was only alarmed. All right, then, I said, we will go halves, and I held out my hand introduce me to her he said at once it is only right i should make her acquaintance since i am in some sort to be her guardian i assured him that a formal introduction would offend madame mortier and perhaps hurt her feelings emilienne before she had been made to understand that he was my partner might fancy he was moved by vulgar curiosity to make her acquaintance or that i had been guilty of unbecoming self-complacency and had been boasting of my intentions in her favor it was therefore agreed that monsieur Henriot should stay to dinner and that they should make acquaintance without formality at table it was the first time we had entertained a guest since emilienne had come to live with us happening to pass by the dining-room she saw through the half-open door an extra plate laid at the table she was surprised and as I came in at the same moment to give some order I found her questioning the servant as I entered. She was going away, but stopped when she saw me, and her eyes asked me the question she had been putting to the subordinate. Do not be afraid, I said. It is only an old friend. The more reason that my presence would be indiscreet. No, for this friend of ours hopes to become yours too. Ah, have you been telling? She stopped short. Her eyebrows drew together, her face darkened. That sarcastic tone that I detect so constantly, even when she is trying to speak pleasantly, was in her voice, and this annoyed me. You are very kind, madame, she said, to wish to procure me other friends, but new acquaintances are fresh witnesses of my sorrow. Monsieur Henriot, madame, is my guardian and my adviser. I have never done anything without consulting him. He was absent from Paris when I went to seek you. It was my duty to tell him of the step I had taken, and how it has succeeded. He approves what I have done, and he wishes to help me in doing more for you. More for me? That is impossible, sighed Madame Emilienne. A certain sharp tone in her voice seemed to accent the sigh. Was a reproach or a compliment or a threat contained in her words? Then she continued. Do you prefer that I should stay to dinner at your table?' I beg you to do so i am ready to obey your orders madame my orders no i give you no orders she showed impatience at this for a moment i should prefer to receive your orders madame she said i have evidently accepted a situation in which i am an embarrassment you do not dare to give me orders and i dare not persuade myself that i hold any place in your household but that of a waiting-woman excuse me madame i am wrong but every time you make me an advance I wonder at myself. I often feel astonished that I sit at the same table with you when my proper place is in the kitchen. I consented to be your manager, your housekeeper, yes, to accept any measure of confidence that you were willing to grant me. Give me your keys. I will do my best to keep house for you. Why do you not put me in charge as I expected you would do? It would be much better for all of us, and then, when a guest comes, I should not be afraid of being intrusive. You would not have to spare my feelings. You promised me that I should earn my bread. I wish to earn it, madame. She paused and looked at me, as if fearing she might have pained me or put me on my guard. Then she added with her mysterious smile, which always provokes me, even when she means it to be kind. I feel the more anxious to earn my bread because it is so good, and because my little darling finds it more than good for her. I was embarrassed. It was with the view to finding out the best means of satisfying your scruples that I asked Arion. I said, to stay to dinner. He is an excellent adviser. Ah, if he could only find me another place. He will, if you wish it. I was altogether provoked with her there are moments when i persuade myself that i have the right to resent her distrust of me i opened the parlor door monsieur henrion came forward the introduction was made in the dining-room the dinner hour had struck and gaston came in i saw by an involuntary start given by our old friend that he was not prepared for the change i may say the dreadful change that has taken place in the looks of my husband I have grown accustomed to his loss of color, as I suppose people are growing accustomed to mine. I have not remarked enough lately how colorless Gaston's face has grown to be. He has blue patches under his skin, which seem like the scars of red pimples, the unclean spots of leprosy, which show the new vice he is indulging in. I wonder if Emilienne also notices the chronic lividness of his complexion, my husband seemed very glad to see Monsieur Henriot, and yet he never liked him. He used to make fun of the old man, fun that was almost cruel. He used to make him the butt of his sarcasms. But to-day, the presence of this old friend of both our families seemed to give him protection. Monsieur Henriot would assuredly let nothing cast a stain on the honor of the name of Monterey. He has done so much already to save it under less critical less alarming circumstances the first part of the dinner was served almost in silence no talk was exchanged except thanks and offers gaston and i weighed every subject before we dared to start it it might contain some snare it might lead to something we did not anticipate emilienne who is habitually reserved wore more than ever that submissive self-concentrated look which is her way of being on the alert she was evidently absorbed in what was going on. She was gathering up every scrap of conversation to see what she could make out of it. She fancied that the old gentleman who had been introduced to her, and who seemed disposed to take an interest in her, must have been commissioned by me to make some proposition to her which he would unfold at table. Monsieur Herion, too, was embarrassed. He usually has the amiable weakness of loving to make his discourse a little didactic, but besides the impropriety of speaking of our domestic affairs openly before a stranger he had lost his text now that he had learned that gaston was not gambling and the pretext for good advice upon another subject afforded him by the besotted looks of my husband would have brought him upon ground too delicate to be touched on before madame jean mortier it was not likely that by a man so exact so formal so particular on points of etiquette any hint would be furnished were it ever so slight that might be to our disadvantage but so it was and monsieur henrion in his embarrassment and kind-heartedness made his blunders more marked and more terrible than if he had spoken unreservedly concerning the ruin and the dissipation which were the usual subjects of discourse between him and me all of a sudden in the middle of dinner after a dead silence which had seemed to oppress everybody he said with a sort of playful familiarity and eager kindliness ah my dear monsieur de monterey i want you to give me a lesson give you a lesson monsieur rion what could you learn from me a lesson about what a lesson in bacrat gaston was so astonished that his fork trembled in his hand and in putting it down hastily he knocked it against his plate which made a clatter i had cold shivers all over my body Madame Emilienne, who probably did not know what Baccarat was, but who perceived that something was coming from my husband's sudden emotion, made a quick movement of her eyelids. She glanced all round the table, under cover of the shadow of her dark eyelashes, and was at once on the alert. "'Do you play at Baccarat?' asked my husband, articulating each word slowly and distinctly, like a man who has been palsied. "'Yes, I have caught the gambling mania since you threw it away.' This time I saw a gleam in Emilienne's eyes. She looked at me, and the gleam was more intense than ever. Monsieur Henrion, delighted to have broken the ice, went on most affably. The truth is, I have always liked cards, but whist is the only game I play regularly. Once upon a time in my law days, I used to play occasionally at other games with my friends among the notaries. The other day, in the country, where I was staying with one of my nieces, you must know they took a notion to initiate me into bacrat i wouldn't learn it at first but when i saw little fellows of fifteen and girls of nineteen my grand-nephews and nieces half despising me because i knew nothing of the fashionable game i did not like to look like an old fogey so i ended by doing like the rest of them and mofa, i played too ah uh, when i was a boy wouldn't my old father have given me a fine scolding for playing anything more than lotto but children nowadays well i had not gone to visit my niece to preach a sermon so i played bacra by this time my husband was smiling and lifting his head with a certain movement of the nostrils like the war-horse who hears the trumpet in the distance and i bet you won he said to monsieur Rion. no i lost that is surprising you must have been finessing well probably i was i did not understand the game that is why i thought i would ask you for a little instruction i passed on a five it seems that that was wrong no that depends well that is exactly what i did not know they made great fun of me when ought one to pass or take another card good monsieur Henriot was quite pleased with himself for putting this question to my husband and sat expecting the answer with an exaggerated expression of interest and curiosity. I was careful not to put in a word. Any word of warning from me would have been useless. Gaston, encouraged by finding that a person who was usually the censor of his conduct, was for the first time in his life turning to him for instruction and in advice, and acknowledging that there was one point on which he was his superior, became at his ease, and in the tone of an instructor diffusely and with authority gave the required explanation by degrees he grew excited brought forward examples of persons who had won by standing on a five added other instances of timid players who had gained by never taking the risk of a fresh card and as he did not see my eyes i was looking down for fear of interrupting him and bringing him up too suddenly if i seemed to give him a hint of his imprudence he started off at full speed and exclaimed rashly speaking loudly in his excitement see here monsieur Henrion, that time i lost fifteen thousand francs to henri d'herbois i had five and was taking the risk of a fresh card hardly had he said this when he perceived the great black eyes of emilienne opening wider and wider he stopped short swerved as it were in his talk and said in a much lower tone which only served to emphasize the imprudent speech that had preceded it you remember monsieur henrion that game we played that night oh perfectly last march i know monsieur henrion smiled a kind fatherly smile he was pleased to be able to show gaston how well he could fix the date of his reformation emilien's eager look seemed rather to surprise him but she subdued herself at once and resumed her self-control i looked at her from under my eyelashes she had done as i did she had half closed her eyes and was listening intently for what might next be said well said monsieur Henriot, with a jovial laugh i only lost five francs they were playing for a sartime a counter it was a terrible loss for me i paid up just as you did but i did not have a chance like you to make my loss good that same evening gaston no longer needed me to warn him of the imprudence he had committed i saw his very hands grow pale as they rested on the tablecloth and tremulously toyed with his knife and fork madame emilienne sat expectant he made no reply which was worse than anything he could have said monsieur henrion suspecting nothing unconscious of what was really passing at table disposed, indeed, to attribute my husband's emotion, which he could not but have observed, to the remorse of a reclaimed gambler, went on serenely. But, after all, you have not answered my question. When ought one to— Why, I told you, stammered Gaston in a low voice. Well, but I did not understand you. I suppose it is not my vocation, and I should not need to be cleaned out—that's the word, isn't it?—to give up bacra— apropos i hear your friend Arbois has come into a large fortune that is true well i suppose you brought him good luck who can say that ill-gotten gains never prosper the stupidest commonplaces in this conversation cut like intentional allusions does your friend write to you no i am surprised that i have not heard from him replied gaston recovering himself a little he promised when he took leave of me to send me news about himself did i blush did i grow pale i do not know did madame emilien see me change color did she notice my embarrassment then i can tell you something about him resumed monsieur Rion. has he written to you no but his man of business who is mine too told me that it was very likely he would come home soon the fortune he inherits is all in stocks or bonds he won't care to begin to spend it in foreign parts when he comes back take care you might be tempted to ask for your revenge though gaston knows nothing of the letter i received and has no conception of the terrible light that the return of monsieur Arbois might throw upon the mysterious murder in the bois de boulogne he seemed to me almost as much alarmed as i was at this prospect of his friend's return he did not say one word he poured himself out a glass of wine and drank it slowly monsieur Henrion could not open his lips that night without saying something alarming his fatal want of tact or rather the fatality which led him on to torturous had not yet done all the mischief that it could well-meaning people are sometimes the most cruel he began to perceive that he had been talking about the gaming-table before little folks roger sat listening to him with wide-open eyes monsieur harion was unwilling to say anything improper before children and with the same smiling fatherly air with which he had addressed gaston he said to roger i trust my dear little roger that you will never take to card-playing the boy looked at me and answered i play sometimes with mamma oh yes play with her as much as you like and with papa too provided you play the game of goose that is a game that has come down to us from the Greeks, but it would not suit the Greeks. Footnote: Le grach is the French name for professional blacklegs, those who cheat at cards. Translator. End of footnote. Of our day, one can cheat in a game of goose. That game will never lead you like roulette to crime or suicide. Roger listened with all his ears and then as if monsieur henriand had been commissioned to probe every wound in our hearts which had so far escaped probing as if some demon urged him to destroy during this visit every chance that remained to me of concealing my horrible secret he went on talking more gaily than in any case he should have done before a widow in such recent mourning and pleased with himself proud of his own importance endeavouring covertly to congratulate me on the reformation of my husband before whom it was now possible theoretically to discuss the long tabooed subject of the gaming-table he went on to say you are too young my dear madame ever to have seen frederic lemet in the thirty years or the life of a gamester no i have never seen it i stammered expecting some fresh stab well if frederic lemet though he is too old now to play the first act the act wherein the hero is led away into vice and folly ever should act the part again i advise you to go and see him at first it will make you shiver all over Monsieur Henriot was speaking to me emilienne who generally is silent and who had to-day been more silent than usual here suddenly spoke i know the inflections of her voice now and in that tone of voice which while it is grave and calm, conceals a threat of some kind, she asked Monsieur Henrion, What is the end of that play? Monsieur Henrion was hardly as much surprised by this sudden intrusion of Madame Jean Mortier into the conversation as we were, but he seemed all at once to take the alarm. He felt very unwilling to speak of the end of that bloody drama before a woman whose husband had been found guilty of murder and highway robbery. How did he know but that Jean Mortier had been a gambler? he felt that he had gone too far but he had not generalship enough to retreat though he had shown such powers of attack he lost his self-possession and stammered oh it has a very romantic ending the gambler meets his son in the dark he intends to rob him and he kills him said madame emilienne yes panted monsieur Henriot. emilienne went on with singular eagerness would he have killed him think you had he recognized him you ask me more than i know madame then you cannot say he would not gambling makes a man capable of any ferocity of any deed however infamous i ought to have said something to the same effect but gaston and i both sat there with bowed heads monsieur Henriot was out of countenance madame emilienne held her head high she had the command of the situation and i saw roger and florence with eager eyes drinking in her words will they remember this scene dinner soon ended after that satisfied with what she had done madame emilienne did not say another word she resumed her modest demeanour and as soon as she decently could leave the dining-room she carried off her little girl and went back to her own chamber what must have been her smile of hope and of ferocity the moment she found herself on the other side of the door of the dining-room it seemed to me i felt the magnetism of her threatening look piercing the very walls her absence was no relief to me gaston went off to his club i kept monsieur henrion with me i did not want him to suspect that he had made such dreadful blunders he spoke to me of the widow he thought her pretty and interesting he thought that she had had more education than was usual in the wife of a tradesman but all the same he added as if summing up his impressions notwithstanding the good opinion i have formed of her i do not think she ought to stay here has it ever occurred to you that your husband who now has become virtuous will have very little to do might take a fancy to her oh my dear friend ha ha if you should dry her tears her eyes might become dangerous I saw your husband looking at her with a strange expression. I only wish I could make you jealous so as better to persuade you to get rid of her. She may be a great embarrassment to you. I am half inclined to think so myself, I sighed. I have promised to come, and I have a little talk with her tomorrow, he continued. I may, may I not? Of course you may. I want to know her better. Till then, "'I will think over how I may best relieve you "'of the burden of your rather reckless work of charity, "'leaving you all the pleasure of it, of course, "'and all the merit, too. "'You would be very skillful if you could do that,' I answered. "'I was hurt, and I was furious. "'I would have given anything to throw my arms "'around the neck of this old man, "'who stood to me in the position of father and guardian, "'and tell him, with tears, "'you are doing everything you can to ruin us. "'I should have liked to reproach him, and yet i know that he was only the unconscious instrument of implacable justice that the blows i have received this day from his hand are but the first fruits of what is in store for me why should i be angry with her or with him everything henceforward must be painful to me piercing through the mask of honour and of charity that we assume our best friends will unconsciously put us on the rack all this occurred this evening to-morrow i shall know if emilienne suspects anything it was very strange her entering in that way into the conversation the next day Monsieur henrion came a little while ago according to his promise for his talk with madame emilienne i contrived so as not to see him before he had had his interview i wanted her to have no cause to suspect collusion I had gone out telling her I was obliged to attend to some business that morning. It was no falsehood. I wanted to go into a church. I spent two hours there, but I could not pray. Prayer would not come to me. I am afraid of changing, as I should have to do, those forms of devotion that only suit the innocent. Near me stood a confessional, with its door open like a black coffin set up on end several times it seemed to me as if i must rush into it shut myself in and seek for peace there peace troubled by remorse the peace of the tomb which is disturbed by worms i would have liked to press into that confessional before those pious women round me who with clasped hands and bowed heads were going in one after another to put off to fan away to disperse in the air of the cold church the little sins that lay upon their consciences what had they to confess like the burden of my secret? I know all about their scruples. They were my own six months ago. They would confess to temptations to be dissatisfied with their lot in life, glances that may have looked beyond their family circle, though their hearts came quickly back to the dear cradles at home, negligence and devotion, omissions of fasts, neglect of church-going, sins, in short, which are the outcome not of evil but of innocence. But to confess a crime, to go into the confessional and accuse oneself of being accessory to a murder, to implore advice how to retrieve a dreadful error, how could I? That would be something that would startle the confessor from his drowsiness, something that would be worthy of that black confessional. I durst not, and besides I cut sight of the priest. I knew him. He is a young rector. He would be rigid. He would require me to give up my husband, to ruin my child, to destroy my honor. I feel myself growing a coward. I foresee that I may go mad. When I return, Monsieur Henrion had ended his talk with Emilienne, and was waiting for me in the salon. He was more serious than yesterday, but had no better tact. He owned to me that the upholsterer's widow had almost persuaded him of her husband's innocence. The picture that she drew for him of their home life, of the sweetness, the gentleness of Jean Moitier, in short, the ineradicable faith in him that proceeds from her own love, had touched the heart of her kind listener. She must have carefully concealed from him any suspicions of us that she may have formed. The poor woman, he said, cherishes dreams of establishing her husband's innocence which can never be realized the law seldom goes behind a verdict to get any trial revised fresh and convincing evidence must be brought forward it is true that the murdered man was exposed to various dangers the night he was killed who knows what kind of people may have fallen in with him when he was drunk and have followed him into the bois de boulogne but that hammer they produced in evidence is a thing not to be got over. I did not altogether discourage her, poor thing. I promised, at any rate, to set on foot certain inquiries. According to Madame Mortier, there is some mystery to be cleared up which has not been fathomed by the professional skill of the police or the lawyers. Do you know, too, my dear friend, that, if we could succeed in proving that somebody else was guilty— not only would the poor upholsterer's character be set right but it would make a great alteration in his wife's circumstances she would become for i would undertake the business for her the heir as being guardian for her daughter to all the property of the murdered man he left one hundred thousand francs it appears it would be a fortune to them and would rid you of the burden of the sacrifices you have taken on yourself this practical side of the romance is what pleases me i shall imagine i am working on your behalf to save the money of which you have made a bad investment so monsieur henriam will take it up in a business point of view i see he will and the suggestions of madame emilienne will possibly withdraw the veil that his interest in us has placed over his eyes my mind is made up we will take flight the danger of monsieur d'arbois return the danger that the curiosity of the police may be aroused by monsieur Henrion, urged on by madame emilienne the danger of gaston's imprudence even the danger of his paleness all seem to me to threaten us we must fly we will go and live in the country near one of the frontiers i will leave madame emilienne in paris under the care of monsieur Henrion. the letters of my old friend will tell me what i have to dread at the first indication of a possible discovery, I will carry Gaston and Roger into some foreign country very far away. We will change our names. I shall still have a terrible duty always before me. I shall only secure myself by flight from the cruelty of events that might take me unprepared. I feel that I must get my guardian to authorize this step, to advise it even. I dreaded to name my husband in our conversation— i could not believe that Emilian had not mentioned him had not tried to find out in some way the past history of a gambler converted as if by a thunderclap on the very night of the murder it would seem a mockery of eternal justice that such a crime should long lie hidden under a veil so thin that at any moment it may be laid bare if it all comes out when we have one foot in a land of exile exile itself will punish us without exposing us to more terrible disgrace I told Monsieur Henriot that I was beginning to be seriously anxious about my husband's health. I apologized for having yesterday spoken lightly of the new bad habit he was contracting. I alluded as adroitly as I could to our old plans of long journeys, which Monsieur Henriot had once approved. My precautions were uncalled for. Monsieur Henriot thought it very natural that I should be convinced at last by his own arguments. He forgave me for having hesitated to give him the credit of knowing what was best for me. Perhaps, too, he was really pleased to take my work of charity out of my hands and to keep Madame Emilienne to himself in his own home. That's right, he said. Now you are a sensible woman. You are doing just what I hoped you would do. You must speak of it to Madame Jean Mortier as a plan that has originated entirely with yourself, I said. Don't let her suppose that I wish to get rid of her. Get rid of her? Do you call it getting rid of her to entrust her to me? Trust me to make a conquest of her. Emilian, as I had done, had gone out after her talk with her old friend. No doubt she went into a church to pray, too. If she has been tempted, as I have been, to enter a confessional, she would not have resisted it, as I have done. She has no reason to do so, we might even have confided in the same place on the same day the same secret to the same priest he might have been the judge between us two if she continues to live in my house i may even become jealous of her everything about her i envy her sorrow which ennobles her while mine takes all spirit out of me her piety which is deeper than mine though she needs help less than i do her devotions comfort her while mine torture me her intelligence too is greater than my own i see it i feel it every day i must escape this life would drive me mad i have no courage left my desire to accept punishment and so expiate guilt was a mere mirage i am a coward i am the mother of roger what a singular woman she insists on going too singular no, she is logical, ferocious, consistent with herself. She is right. I am her prey. She will not let me escape her. When Monsieur Herion told her that we thought of leaving, she owned that, having been the cause of our sudden return from Geneva, she felt relieved by this idea of a new journey. When my old friend added that he hoped for the honor of being delegated by me, to request her to permit him to carry out the offer of hospitality she had accepted she assumed an air of passive submission and gratitude which exceedingly embarrassed monsieur Henrion. she said that she had entrusted to us her destiny that she did not feel at liberty to take it out of our hands that if i had commissioned monsieur henrion to tell her that she must go away she would go at once but that she thought so kind a man so good a friend would stand between us she added that i must know that i had no need of any intermediate person to speak to her on any subject she simply wanted to know my wishes plainly she had warned me beforehand she had made such conditions when she entered my household that she had the right to expect to hear from me and me alone that i wanted to get rid of her monsieur henriand was completely bewildered by this style of self-assertion i ought to have smiled when he reported the conversation to me, but I felt more like crying. She knows that I am trying to escape. It was an imprudence to let her see it. It was almost like beginning a confession, to plan to get away from her the very day after those lights which had fallen upon her at our dinner-table. She mistrusts the old friend whom I sent to her. She says to herself that he will not help her to discover the truth. She will be beholden to nobody." She wants to keep near me, to watch me, and to observe Gaston herself. Paris, or the ends of the earth, it is all the same to her, provided that our secret rivets Gaston and me to one another, and that she can strike, from time to time, her blows upon our chain. And after all, this is not devilishness, it is virtue in her. She thinks we want to throw her off the scent. She resists and defies me. I accept the challenge. I begged her to go with us. She bowed humbly and thanked me for the honor. She spoke of the comfort it would be to her to leave Paris. As she can never be consoled, she said sadly, change would help her to forget her sorrows, and she would gladly be made useful to me. She has renewed her offer to keep house for me. She recalled to my mind the promise I had made to give her some fixed employment in my household. She insists upon it monsieur Henrion is so good as to say that he will make inquiries for me she said though he does not think they will be of any much avail i am of no use to him here i have told him all i know i can tell him nothing more suppose i should decide to stay now that i find that she insists on going with us but no she is not our only danger another danger lies in paris if i take her away i hinder any meeting any communication between her and monsieur Arbois. she has not thought of that how fortunate besides we will go so far away that she will frighten me no longer she will not tire me out but i may tire her poor woman she is to be pitied i am growing to hate her whereas i ought to force myself to love her to love her as my punishment Alas, I am the wife of a great criminal. This everyday home life, which I can carry on only by deceit, is the cup that I desired to accept, then put away from me through weakness, and now I have to drink it to the dregs. O oh my God, give me strength in all things willingly to accept thy will. End of chapter two.